Thank you, Dan and Parker and Choir and Instrumentalist Orchestra for beautiful music today. Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. For a sermon entitled, Family Heirlooms. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois, and in your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. The old rocker cracked and popped as Jenny set it in motion with a push of her hand. The springs poked their heads above the faded horsehair covering. Even in the dimly lit attic, she could see the wood was scarred and the varnish worn away. She tugged at the relic till she got it to the stairwell and slid it one step at a time, carefully balancing the awkward weight against her watermelon belly. The bottom of the stairs, she rubbed the muscles in her lower back. Jenny Lester, what'd you do? You shouldn't have brought that down the chair by yourself. Andrea, her mother-in-law, scolded. I'm all right, Mother Lester. The baby squirmed and kicked its objections. She laughingly rubbed the rebel, pushing from within. You just wait. Soon I'll rock you in Grandmother Lester's chair. Clara and Harry Lester bought the chair shortly after their wedding in 1889. They moved it by horse and wagon from the secondhand store in Lincoln, Nebraska, all the way out to the farm in Fairbury. Harry refinished the wood. Clara upholstered its back and seat with fashionable horsehair material. Only special come-into-the-parlor company like Reverend Jorgensen ever used the rocking chair until the babies were born. Then Clara put it between the wood stove and the table in the all-purpose kitchen. She soothed babies with the cadence of the rocking chair. She touched down between the stirring of the stew and the slopping of the hogs. Tea towel harnesses tied toddlers to the chair while she canned and preserved. She anxiously shuttled the chair back and forth to and fro when scarlet fever made her third-born delirious. God, if you're really out there, God, help my little one. When healing came, tears splattered her apron. God, I believe you're real. You heard my prayer. You saved my baby. He's yours now, and and I am too. The chair became her altar and her podium. She tucked her feet up on it and leaned close to the lamp to read her Bible. And then faced it to the corner to make a private prayer closet. The chair kept rhythm with the songs that she sang, whether it was the quiet lullabies for her babies or the hallelujahs of her private worship. The chair sat by the four-poster bed as her husband, now aged, Harry wrestled with cancer. Clara sat vigilant at his side and held his hand from the rocker. 
And after he died, she pulled the chair close to the stove and wondered if she'd ever be warm again. The taxes grew after his death, but Claire's resources diminished and the whole farm had to be sold. She rocked and washed as piece by piece was auctioned all farm equipment, family furnishings to the highest bidder. It was like tearing strips away from her life to see them go. But Clara kept the chair. She took it with her when she moved to live with her youngest son, Robert, and his wife, Audria. Then Jimmy was born, the last of the grandchildren, the last one to be rocked in the chair, the last one to tug up as her hair as she rocked away. And then as he grew, low oxygen days fogged her mind, and only her God and her chair remained familiar. Moving from the farm to the city, there were unknown noises like sirens and fire engines and horns and squealing brakes. They all interrupted her sleep. She endured restless hours wrapped in a quilt, rocking and praying, praying to go home. After her death, the worn old chair was relegated to Jimmy's room. He still did them. He was delighted to have it. He used it to hunt tigers, and from it he drove the chariot, driving the horses at full speed. He did his homework in it when he got a little older and, and rocked to his upbeat radio music. He dreamed dreams, and he planned his future from the chair. The chair developed a popping sound when Jimmy, a boy, turned man. When he went off to college, his room became the second den and the guest room, and the chair was stuck up in the attic. And then a freckled co-ed caught Jimmy's fancy, and he courted her his senior year. They married, and Jenny went to work, and he went to seminary. And he got called to the first church about the time he was called to fatherhood. Their first child began to grow within Jenny and stretch beneath her heart, I wish, I wish we still had my grandmother's chair. You could rock our son in it, or daughter, she protested. That old rocker was special. I felt so proud when that chair was given to me, Jimmy said. I wonder where it is now. In private, Jenny asked Mother Lester, where's that rocker that whatever came of that that used to be in Jimmy's room? Always in the attic, she answered. I'd like to see it. I have an idea. Come on, I'll show it to you. It's in bad shape. The stuffing's coming out. The wood is all scarred up. You can tell the bad shape even in the attic light. But Jenny rubbed her hand across the back, and the scars aren't deep. They just had character. It'll take some time, but I'd like to try. Can we have it? Can I fix it for our baby? You can if you want to. In fact, you can use Jimmy's old room right close to fix it up. As Mother Lester readied the spare room for Jenny, brought down the chair from the attic, she was anxious to begin. Beautiful oak began to emerge as she sanded, sanded it smooth. And the wood glowed a golden under the new varnish. She tied down the old popped-up springs tight. They were snug and comfortable under the new upholstery. It looked very handsome now with clean claw feet and a trimly tucked back. 
On the celebration day, she draped a chair with a Miss America-type ribbon. What are you up to, Jenny Lester? Her husband asked as she led him upstairs to his old room. Your grin gives you away, he said. Close your eyes when I open the door. Now put your hands on them too. No, no peeking. You act like an excited kid, Jimmy chuckled. Are you sure you're old enough to be the mother of my son? Okay, she said. Push, position him in front of the rocker. You can look. Happy anniversary. Grandmother Lester's rocker. Oh, honey, it's wonderful, he said. He took the Miss America drapings and put it across Jenny. It has a life of its own, Jenny said. It certainly has a heritage. When our son is born, I'm going to tell him about the legacy of faith that started with Grandmother Lester and came down four generations to him. Or her, Jenny protested again. The old mantel clock, a quilt, a rocking chair. These are the things that we pass down to our children. Our bedroom is adorned with the one thing I asked for from my grandmother Howard, my mama. It's an old, it's nice a kit clock. It wasn't even expensive in the day. It has a carved lion head at the top and a beautiful maiden on the pendulum. And I not only like the clock, I like the tick-tock, tick-tock sound it makes if you wind it up. Sounds of my mama's house. And Lisa has her mother's clock on another dresser. We don't use those clocks to tell time. We use those clocks to tell stories. Stories of the heritage of families. But there's something much more important to pass down to our children. It's not something that can be found in the antique store or amongst the collectible store. It's never auctioned off to the highest bidder. Most importantly, we must hand to our children our stories of faith. We must tell them the stories of Scripture. We have to tell them the stories of courage and the stories of fear, the stories of victories and the stories of defeats, the stories of sin, the stories of forgiveness, the stories of healing, the story, ultimately, Old and New Testament, of God's deliverance. Like a family heirloom, we are to give our children our faith. Sometimes as Westerners in modern society, civilization, we began to think of the family as just some social organism, but it is not. The family itself is to be a religious community. The family was ordained by God to be the basic element of civilization. It's the place of instruction and faith, instruction of the deliverance of God in ancient Israel, the destruction of deliverance in God in Christ Jesus. For the church, parenting is the most important job you'll ever do. Or grandparenting, I should say, as children spend more time with grandparents than ever before. Have you ever heard of Warren and Patricia Simpson? True story, Montclair, New Jersey. They announced they were giving up their three children for adoption. The couple said they had become increasingly dis disillusioned with family life between the crying and the fighting and the asking for new toys. It's just all become very discouraging, Ms. Simpson said. 
We're both still young. We've got a lot of other interests. I'm quoting her. We started to question whether this was the place that we could be most effective in life. Well, the Simpsons said their decision was a difficult one. They talked to a lot of family and their friends. They sought counsel and advice. Mr. Simpson said what it finally came down to was after seven years of parenting, we were just ready to move on. Who isn't after seven years of parenting? <laughs> Welcome to life, Mr. Simpson. While not many of us would be as blatant as Warren and Patricia Simpson, but many of us nonetheless fail in our primary responsibility to give our faith to our children. Early Jewish families gave the primary emphasis to religious instruction to the home. It wasn't just a responsibility of the priest or the rabbi or the synagogue. They saw it being established in the home, the faith of the home along with the synagogue or New Testament, the church. You need to give your faith to your children. Some modern-day parent might say, it's not my place to influence my child. I want him to explore or her to explore and shape her own values and find her own truth and her own philosophy I wish to live life. The reality is your children don't have a chance to do that anymore, do they? It makes absolutely no sense for parents to sit back as neutral bystanders while everyone from legislators to sex educators, from script writers to advertisers insist on pushing their, their values, their evil values, on your children. There's no greater responsibility that God has ever given to you than passing on the heritage of faith to mold and make our children to be who God would want them to be. Sometimes it's frightening to think that the greatest influence on your child's spiritual journey is you, the family. You're the greatest influencer on your child's spiritual journey. One boy received that message loudly and clearly growing up. Well, when he was 14, his dad came in wearing a grin and said he'd gotten a speeding ticket. It was just a speeding trap. But don't worry, Joe Peterson said he'd take care of it down at City Hall. Then he went down to his mother, and she backed up into a tree and, and greatly damaged the rear of the car. And she said, we got to get our story straight. We're going to say somebody hit us parked downtown. We didn't see them, and they flew the scene. And, well, we'll be able to collect the insurance money that way. When the boy was 16, he remembered his father reminiscing about the days of rationing when he made $100,000 way back when black marketing cars. Then there was old Uncle John. He said in his business, he didn't write any bills and he only took cash. Why, why let the IRS have any of it anyway? When the boy was 18, the family struggled to gather a possibility of admission to an Ivy League school. They even lied about their income so they'd be able to get him a scholarship. And when it got, school, it got tough at school, he bought some answers for a calculator test from an upperclassman, and he was called. He was kicked out of the Ivy League University. When he came home, his mother went into hysterics and said, how could you have ever done this? We didn't raise you that way. You raised him exactly that way. And this passage, this pastoral epistle, Paul is writing a letter to young Timothy. 
He says candidly to his son in the faith, I'm glad you're a third generation believer. Notice, in this case, it's the grandmother and the mother. I remember your grandmother, Lois. Lois had a wonderful faith, Timothy, and she gave it to Eunice. And Eunice, what a saint she was. And Timothy, I'm sure that that faith that I saw in Lois and Eunice is now residing in you. Have no doubt about it. The faith was first in Lois and then Eunice and now Timothy. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we have that famous passage from ancient Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall, listen, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk with them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. And later in the passage, he says, you are to tell your children that we were slaves in Egypt and Pharaoh was evil and we prayed and God heard the cries of his people and God delivered us and we crossed over the ocean on dry land and the Egyptians perished. God's deliverance from slavery, Old Testament. New Testament, the big event, the crucifixion. God's deliverance from the slavery of sin and death in the story of Christ, the second Moses, the second deliverer of God's people. Tell them, when you sit down, when you rise up, when you walk by the way, tell your children your faith. Tell your children your faith. When James Dobson was at the height of his career time was demanded every talk show wanted him his books were bestsellers and everything was around him his own father noticed that he was sacrificing the king of family was sacrificing his own family on the altar of career success of making america's family strong his daddy wrote him a letter listen carefully i have observed the greatest delusion it's to suppose that our children will be devout Christians simply because their parents have been or that any of them will enter into the Christian faith in any other way than through the parents' deep travail and prayer and faith. But this prayer demands time, time that cannot be given. If it's all assigned and conscripted and laid to the altar of career ambition, failure at this point Failure at the point with your child would make mere success in your occupation a pale and washed out affair indeed. The greatest delusion is to suppose that our children will be devout people of God simply because we are. What a powerful statement. The greatest gift my parents ever gave me was the faith that their parents gave them. You see, Thomas Batson my Lois, that I never met, never knew my great-grandfather, he gave the story to H.B. Batson. And H.B. Batson gave it to Hugh Batson. And Hugh Batson gave it to me. And I've given it to Ryan and Jordan and Chandler. And Ryan and John and Jordan and Delton and Chandler will give it to Rollins and Spencer and Rains and Charlie and, 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 one could hope. 
The story of faith is for families. My parents raised me attending the place of worship. We went every Sunday. It wasn't one thing one might choose on a Sunday. It was the only thing one could do on a Sunday. It was part of the rhythm of our life that on the day of the empty tomb of Jesus, we would call time out in life and nothing else mattered. And we would gather with all the saints of God in his house and we would discover every week again the tomb was empty and he was alive. We were forgiven. It wasn't one thing among many things. It was the thing. Catherine Hankey wrote these words in 1866. The third stanza reads, I love to tell the story. For those who know it best seem hungry and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory I sing the new, new song, t'will be the old, old story that I have sung so long. I love to tell the story. T'will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Your children need God. They need a moral compass to lead them to right. They need values and philosophy and theology about which to navigate life. You must make every effort. Of course, you can't force it upon them. And I know God has some disobedient children, and all of us do too. I, I, I get it. But if we make church a rich priority, not only in word, but in actions, in our attendance, in our being here, then they likely will too. We all want our children to have the very best in education and we'll buy anything if it'll make them faster, jump higher. Athletics has become our God and it takes up a lot of Sundays. We want them to have the material things that they need and yet if we don't make a consistent effort to give children our God, we have robbed them of the greatest heirloom, the greatest heritage and legacy we can give. Timothy, I remember Lois. Man, she shared Jesus with so many people. And I watched Eunice, just like Lois. And now Timothy, pastoring the churches of his family's faith. I realize today your children must make their own choices ultimately. They can choose to go with the story, without the story. They can choose to trust Jesus or they can choose to reject him. Ultimately, it is their decision. But it is your task as a family. It is our task as a church family. Not sporadically, but every single week and the rhythm of our lives to put the faith of Christ before them. To give her your faith. To give him your faith. To give her your God. Creator God. Redeemer God. Sustainer God. Yes, Lois did it. Eunice did it. Timothy did it. And I'm pretty certain Timothy's children did too. Let's pray.
Oh God, if there's ever been a day of a confused culture where we need truth and absolute truth, we need clear lines between right and wrong, or we can be thoughtful, but we must be obedient. God, maybe there's some today who at the beginning of this Sunday school year need to commit their families to being here every week to learn the stories of faith. Time lost cannot be made up. Maybe there's someone who needs to come and profess Jesus Christ as his or her Lord and Savior. May they come today. In Jesus' name, amen.